Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on 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 Podcast, my guest is someone who has hashed more than anyone else during the pandemic. Six continents and seven seas hashed widely, a ball buster runner, a song master. Virtually everyone in hashing either knows him or someone who knows him. Today's guest on the podcast is Hazakashi. Welcome, Haz. Aloha. Nice to be here. Great to talk to you. And when and where and how did you start hashing? I enlisted in the Marines in the early 80s, and my first overseas assignment was to Okinawa. Shortly after arrival in September of 1984, uh, the guys in the office kept talking about this running thing. And being new to the island and all, it took them three weeks to convince me to go out. But as soon as I hit that first run, uh, it was all over. I was addicted for life. Was music there then? No, he wasn't. I think he had left shortly before that. How did you get your hash name? I took to hashing right away, and I loved the whole idea of shortcutting to try to snare the hair. So I would often take off, and sometimes in the opposite direction the hairs went, run out there and see what could happen. I, one time I had not seen anything for an hour, came down this hill, all of a sudden I saw the hair on the other side of the street, snagged him uh, half a mile away from the finish. Running on my own often uh, came down to Lone Wolf or Hazukashi. I think I got the better of the two names. The translation for Hazukashi is bashful or shy or ashamed. That kind of fit in with taking off on my own and uh, doing my own thing. There's so much to talk to you about, Has. Okinawa was your start. What about Korea? As years went by, I eventually got stationed in Korea in the summer of 1997. The options were few and far between, but I took right to it. I met some uh, other big-time hashers out there. This was my first experience with a men-only hash, the, uh, the soul hash, which was very interesting. I really enjoyed the whole concept of people shutting the hell up in circle and listening to what was going on because you have to request permission to speak. One hasher, one joke, or one song at a time. You get called up, you drink out of a bedpan, and you have to entertain the circle. You have to sing a interesting song or tell a good joke. And boy, we had some great stuff uh, back in the 90s with some of those old guys. It was a great time. I spent three years there, actually founded a hash there, uh, Seoul Southside Hash, which is still chugging along now uh, after 20 plus years and over a thousand runs. That's a Sunday hash? I think I've hashed with that one on a layover. Yep, that's, that's the Sunday hash. Did you have any hashing mentors, either in the singing or hashing tradition? Hashing in general, no. Uh, from what I, the people I ran into, uh, there was no one that really... Well, I, I just really took to it. But uh, singing-wise, uh, some people that I, I really enjoyed singing with were uh, over there. Uh, he had some great stuff in Korea. Flying Booger uh, introduced me to a lot of new songs when uh, we hashed together in Hawaii in the early 90s. Ian, of course, everybody uh, has sung with him at some point uh, when he was hashing around. So, yeah, there's, there's a few guys that really uh, inspired me on the singing part, uh, music as well. What about hashing, away hashing and event travel? What are the some hashing events that are great or memorable? Well, it took me a while to get to get the travel bug. Uh, I didn't really start traveling hard until uh, 1998 when I was in Korea. 
Went to Interhash in Kuala Lumpur and started traveling around Southeast Asia, Northeast Asia, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, Philippines, really started hitting it hard. One event that really was impressive was uh, Interhash in Tasmania. That was a lot of fun. But I also, uh, I, I go to a lot of the uh, Mekong Indochinas in Southeast Asia. They're always fun. Yeah, we don't know the status of Burma, where they'll be later this year if that one will be open speaking of burma that, that's an interesting story uh part of the my hash history my first started writing about my in in the spotlight series was when i went to burma back in 2013 and uh i just recently got the opportunity to chat to the guy that started the first rangoon hash back in uh, 1980 or 78 and uh, he's 90 years old now he's still kicking but uh, he doesn't hash anymore mm-hmm. that article is going to come out in my next monthly diatribe yeah, tell us about that in the spotlight and it's the origin of go to the hash.net and the other passion you have for researching, finding, documenting hash stories and hash clubs. Go to the hash started actually in January of 1998. I started creating websites in 96, 97, just learning how to do it as a way to learn how to do it for work. So I started doing hash websites. The year that we, we all started talking about going to uh, Kuala Lumpur, 98 Interhash, I had started a list for Korea and became a regional webmaster. So started chatting with some of the other guys. And just the list of websites that I started to pull together has now turned into go to the hash.net 23 plus years later. So I think I'm the biggest user of my own website because uh, I do love to travel and hash all over the world. So that eventually led to uh, working with Flying Booger on Half Mind for a, a few years and really getting into the history of hashing, which uh, has been my latest draw. As I mentioned, 2013, I went to Burma and started the In the Spotlight series, which talks about different aspects of hashing. You know, I write about Interhash. I write about Ballbuster Trails. I did an article on Harriet's and how that whole section of hashing started. And now there's over 50 different articles on my website, different locations and different aspects of hashing. Every time I travel somewhere new, I do an article on the country. And uh, that has expanded. I've done 20 countries in the past year and a half, two years. It's been great. I really enjoy it. Tell me about your experience hashing in the pandemic. You were on the road and what happened? I had moved back to Hawaii after I retired from the military and was out there for uh, five or six years. Had a great job, had a great house. Life was perfect, but uh, just had a yearning to get out and travel before I got too old to enjoy it because you know, I can always go back and work at Walmart uh, as a greeter in my 70s. So uh, at 55, I sold everything, gave it away, threw it away, donated it. I have five boxes left of my name in storage. And I took off in October of 2019 with a plan to hit maybe a dozen different countries around Southeast Asia and the Pacific Islands. So I took off. I uh, got six months into it. I was in Bahrain after hitting 20 different countries on that trip. Some I had hit before, but uh, most of them were new. Got to a lot of uh, Pacific Islands, uh, Vanuatu, Saipan, Guam, Papua New Guinea, Guadalcanal, East Timor, Australia. Then I went back up through the uh, Southeast Asia up to Nepal and Bangladesh, then over to Oman, Croatia, Greece, Cyprus, Egypt. Just had a great time. But got to Bahrain, that's when things all went to hell. Ended up spending a, a month there with my good friend, uh, Saigon Sally. 
after one visa extension, uh, couldn't get a second one. So I ended up doing a one-day flight on 13 April 2020 from Bahrain all the way to Hawaii. 32 hours flying time, all in a single day because of flying backwards in time zones. In a golf. Yeah, that's what I went to Bahrain for. A handful of people made it. How many people were on that event? Well, uh, there were 60 signed up the week before, but... Because that was right when things started to go to pieces with COVID, I was the only international traveler to get into the country. So I think <laughs> there was a dozen of us on trail, 11 local Bahraini hashers and me. I ended up staying a month because I couldn't go anywhere else that I had. I had six more countries lined up before Interhash uh, in Trinidad, but they all got canceled and I ended up uh, staying there for a month. Let's go back to the history for a second. You've done so much research. You talked to so many people. It's a great way to include all that. Name a couple surprising things. Talking to the guy who started the first Rangoon hash. You get a name somewhere and you, you know, whether you pull that string, find out they're still alive and willing to talk to you. I got to uncover how hashing in Burma actually started. That's the same with several other countries. You know, I've been working on this uh, hash genealogy project, getting all the hashes categorized and updated for who started them, when they started and so forth. I get to talk to a lot of people around the world. It's, it's fascinating. What about the idea of the second hash club? I first saw it when I was at Interhash 98 in Kuala Lumpur. There was an article on the Bordigera hash. I wondered about it for a long time. I first popped up in an article in uh, 1992. Everybody talked about it for many years. And finally, I tracked down Buana in Africa at the time. And he confirmed the whole story. He led me to, like a horse, led me to water, and I was drinking it. He, he gave me the whole nine yards. But as soon as I published that article, my friend Amnesia in the UK said, you know, I think this story doesn't hold water. So he did some extensive research on all the names that were uh, listed as founders and, you know, Gus Mackey and all that. None of those people right. ever existed. <laughs> you, can't, you can't prove that something didn't happen, but he proved that people that were involved didn't exist. That's brilliant. Buana was a great character and it's fantastic that you did that research and forced truth to come out a big part of history now was your debunking of that well I, di I didn't do the debunking that was uh, that was amnesia i just brought it to the forefront when i wrote the article after talking to to buana still contributions yeah officially uh singapore is uh hash club number two started in 1962 it's gone from there you have relatives that live outside of toronto right your mom yeah my mother uh she's actually born and raised in Germany, but she lives up in Port Perry outside of Toronto now. So if I can ever get back to Canada and visit her, I'll uh, come see you as well. Ian Cummings' sister was in a home up here. So he used to come at the November weekends of Hogtown anniversary and bring along picture books of his community theaters in the late 50s in Singapore and go through them with his sister. So We've covered a couple continents already. You did travel in the Caribbean and Central America during the pandemic. Um, I may, I just may, spent five weeks down in uh, South America and hashed in uh, Ecuador and Colombia. Visited Pablo Escobar. He's the uh, chairman of Inter America's Hash, which has now been pushed back to 2022. Got to see the uh, Hash House and uh, talk to him quite a bit. It's going to be a good time that Colombia's got some great hashing territory. It's about every continent now except Europe. What about European hash? I uh, first hashed in Germany in 1997 uh, after meeting the wolf in Korea. He told me I had to come over and visit, so I went to see him. Eventually, uh, my military career took me to uh, Germany. I spent the last four years of my 
my career in Stuttgart. Started Ash there as well, the sixth club I was involved in. The Dienstag Schnitzeljagentruppe, which translates to the Tuesday Paper Chase Party. Because uh, Schnitzeljag is a, is a German kids game. They, they use sawdust, same kind of thing. What about you, your feelings on hashing preferences and traditions? Well, I've always been a, uh, a live hair kind of guy. I love to hair. I've haired over 600 trails around the world. I've had some health issues, so it's made it harder lately, but I've really gotten back into live herring again. And I just love the thrill of the chase, setting a good trail that hashers enjoy, but also being able to uh, evade their chase. And I don't shortcut as much as I used to. A lot of trails are dead hair anyway, so there's no point in uh, trying to catch the hair. But uh, I really enjoy the whole concept of following the trail, not knowing where you're going, uh, just going to places that you would never think of going to if you weren't uh, hashing. Yeah, I think I learned my lesson with you in may, maybe it was, it was Jakarta way hash, maybe before Fiji on a trail together. And I followed you for a while and I ended up having a much longer run than anybody on the... That was the Fiji ball buster. Yeah, that wasn't my fault though. <laughs> The hares set the trail, but they brought out people to stand at the beer checks and point hashers in a certain direction, which they ended up pointing us up the wrong valley. They said, oh, yeah, just go up there. You'll eventually see paper. Fifteen, fifteen or so of us went up that valley for two or three miles and never found anything. So we ended up just scavenging our way back to the finish. Ten miles of uh, running with only about two miles of trail. You've been on hashes with probably five to over 5,000 people. For an event, what's what's a magic number for you for a hash weekend? Well, I used to think uh, the bigger the better because I get to see a lot of people uh, that I haven't seen in a while. But I'm kind of at the point now where maybe 200 to 250 is as big as I want to go because you can fit in more venues, less worry about bussing and, uh, and getting around. It's just a good number of people uh, that you can have in a circle and be able to get around and talk to everybody and have fun. Let's just make sure we put in here the website, tell people exactly how to find Go to the Hash. The website I first built on uh, AOL Hometown or whatever that was called, it was too hard to remember. So I found an, a forwarder, which was go.2 slash the hash, which they eventually went away. And I got my own URL, go to the hash.net. And uh, it's been that way ever since. It now has it links to all the hashes around the world. It has a calendar of events for the next three years. It has all the big intercontinental events, interhash and Eurohash and all that listed right there on the front. Uh, it has the history. It has a t-shirt museum with almost 2,000 different hash t-shirts in it. It's pretty extensive. Uh, I think I've got everything covered. The music, the running, the events, contacts. I think it's all pretty much there. It's unofficially known as the first stop hashing website. It's a roaring success. You know, I got to give credit to the regional webmasters that do the contacts for their country or region. Kind of started linking all those guys together. All the rest of the stuff is just built on top of it. The regional webmasters deserve a, a hearty pat on the back for several years of keeping track of all the hashes in their country and, and uh, making it all happen, uh, yourself included. What's next? What's your next project? You're not going to stop doing spotlights and keeping go to the hash and ideas, but the genealogy project. 
As I've gotten into the history, I've talked to a lot of people and, you know, I met Bill Panton back in the 90s, somewhere along the way. And uh, when he unraveled his long 30 foot piece of paper that really fascinated a lot of people, myself included, didn't really think much about it beyond having a copy. But then when it went online, I saw a lot of the information was incorrect, out of date, needed filling in. So uh, I recently got a hold of Neil Campbell out there in Malaysia. He agreed to put me on the uh, login. So now I've started updating uh, all the hash listings around the world and adding new countries because not much has been added for the past five years or so since before Tumble and Bill past, trying to update it, make it more accurate. Uh, so it can possibly be the go-to resource for finding a hash when you travel. Last question has, is the RA always right? <laughs> Hell no. He's just the guy that, uh, that helps steer things while you're in the circle. But uh, yeah, they're just as fallible as the rest of us. Thanks to Hazakashi for dropping by the podcast. Till next time, on on from Rock. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child, coming forth to carry me Oh